Hello, viewers and listeners. Welcome back to Eleven Eight, another movie review. Tonight, I have with me Samir. Hi, guys. How you doing? How you doing, Paul? Looking forward to Christmas. Yeah. Um, I'm looking forward to getting it over with. <laughs> I think it's one of those things it's like we've got it, uh, to a point in our life probably it's not the sort of spice element of presents it's more like eating and drinking yes when you're an adult crisp if you're an adult and you don't have children Christmas is fucking boring yes it can be especially because everything's shut down isn't it really for a few days there's nothing to eat and nothing to do yeah, I mean, I don't mind that too much. I quite appreciate thing, you know, life just kind of stopping for a bit because yeah. we live in such a 24-hour society nowadays. However, what I, I suppose what I don't is, is every, I, I had great Christmases as a kid. I, I used to yes. get loads of stuff and being an only child, you know, you get a little bit spoiled and stuff. And mm-hmm. anything I asked for throughout the year, you my got... mother and father would make a yeah, like make a mental note. I mean, they get everything, obviously, but they make a mental note. And then Christmas Day was like fucking brilliant, you know, all oh, this and that, and, you know. But yeah, um, it was great. Um, but now, when you're an adult, you get presents, and it's like stuff that you buy at the supermarket anyway. You know, like well, I bought some of that on Friday, and now I've got it as a Christmas present. Like, okay, because now I've got two of the things. And, yeah. yeah, with socks, underwear, you know, socks and uh, boxer shorts, uh, shorts and all that stuff. It's no longer anything that you really, really want. Uh, but never mind. It's one of those things, isn't? It? I think it's hard to buy when you're a certain age, anyway. Um, it's like I would like to. Like I bought some aftershave for Peter for my father. Um, got some stuff for my mum's sister and stuff like that. So yeah, hopefully they'll appreciate it. Is your dad uh, going to be watching this? Well, I'm not going to give it. Uh, not going to pass it over to him till uh, after Christmas. This <laughs> Christmas present, otherwise, isn't it? Yeah, it has any surprise, yeah. But yeah, it, it's, it's you're right. It's quite a funny year, uh, time of year for me as well. I mean, I've got no kids, and like yourself, I was quite spoiled um, for a period of about six or seven years. I virtually got really expensive stuff you know at the time like all the star wars uh toys uh Classic. In, in yeah a pc as well which was very unusual people don't realize how unusual in the 80s it was to have your own pc at home uh, mm. and i had the m shred 64 uh, and i'm talking about 85 or 86 uh, and people used to come around my place, my uh, cousins, and even people, my neighbours, and their kids would go, oh, can we play on the computer? And after six months to a year, yeah, 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 go ahead. Because I used to play on it so often, it got boring after a while. Um, then I remember getting the Atari Lynx. Uh, oh, yes, yes. Yeah. I had one of those. I had one of those from America. Yeah. I did, yeah. Yeah, yeah went out oh. to uh, Florida on a family holiday. In the late 80s, early 90s, went over there three times in succession and bought an Atari Lynx over there, shipload of games, carry case, and that fucking brilliant. Yeah, in those days, I know it doesn't sound probably expensive, but I mean, the games were 25 quid a, a, a go, 25 to 30 quid a go, which was a lot of money then. I know kids these days go, ah, what they're talking about, yeah, it's 80 quid a go these days. 
bloody peasants. Well, probably. yeah, it's been it's been sixty pound for a very long time retail price over here in this country for video games, and now Uh-oh. because of the new generation, the PlayStation Five and the Xbox Series X and S. They've decided that oh, actually, we need an extra ten pounds. So retail price now for most games is seventy quid now. Jeez, so thirty quid is not bad, is it really? But then again, if we look at the times, people weren't well, earning the same sort of money as well. No, definitely not, and they weren't you know, inflation and whatnot. Um, yeah. But yeah, if you think all those Atari Lynx games, if you had every single Atari Lynx game, mm-hmm. that would probably th- you could easily have all of those on your cell phone. Well, yeah. Yeah, I've still got Easily. the console. I got the console. I've got the oh, yeah. charger. Yeah, I've kept it safely in my room. Uh, so one day it might be, you know, leave it in sort of that time capsule sort of thing. Dig somewhere and put it in there. This is what, what the... version? What version is it? Version one or two? One. I got the first version. Oh, so the, the the bigger, chunkier one. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. I think that was eighty eight heard... or eighty nine. I think. Right. I had version two, which is a slightly more compact, fatter yeah, this... model. Yeah. Did you have BMX game on there? BMX Max or something it was called. I had that and I'd like Thunder Lightning or Fighter Lightning or something like that. Now, I remember a, a game called Xenophobia, I think it was. It was like loosely based on the Aliens movie. I remember that. Okay. Chips Challenge. I remember that one. Yeah. I just anyway, should we out. talk about this film? Yeah, let's yeah. Before we get carried away, haven't really <laughs> announced what film we've been. What, yeah, haven't really announced what film we're doing. Although it says that in the in the YouTube description and stuff, but we actually are reviewing the Last King of Scotland tonight, um, two thousand six movie, and this was Samir's pick. So why did you pick it, Samir? I thought you know make it a little bit like a Christmas movie. <laughs> <laughs> No, <laughs> uh, th- there's a reason why I think it's. Um, I, th- I saw it. Um, I think on the year it came out or the year after, and I really found it interesting. It's an interesting movie. Um, I also have connections to East Africa. My parents come from Kenya, but uh, one of my aunts or some of my family members actually lived in Uganda. Um, on both sides of the family, and they were actually kicked out under Idi Amin. And then in 2011, mm. I actually went to Uganda. There was at that time, I was actually going there, had a look uh, at the place, and I was going to go and move over there and settle there. Beautiful country, but then I realized after uh, two weeks when I came back home to England that there's no place like home. So, yeah, but I have to say, it's a welcoming country, beautiful place. Uh, if you like wild, uh, wildlife, it's superb. People don't get it how lovely some of the places are or houses are there as well. As you see in the movie, there are many cured gardens, etc. So some of that's true. But this was a dark period in the country mm. of a man who was a little bit deluded. And I thought it would be an interesting topic to cover. Okay. I'm just looking at the size of Uganda compared to all the other surrounding countries. It's actually quite small. Yes, it is. Kenya, I think, is twice the size. Yes. Tanzania is probably four to five times the size. The Demo- <coughs> Democratic Republic of Congo is even bigger. Uh, yeah, I think Rwanda's the only one that is smaller next to it. Yeah, Burundi. Burundi is small as well. But, but yeah, and it sort of shares a bit of a lake, Lake Victoria. Yes. Weird, because there's like a border straight across the middle of the lake. Yes. 
<laughs> yeah, it's the I think it's a Kenyan and Ugandan border. Basically, you can go from the capital city Kampala to a um, city called Kisimu uh, in Kenya via boat. There used to be a service. They don't do mm. that anymore because of health and safety reasons. I think the few, quite a few passenger boats have sank in the past, so they've said, nah, we don't want to take that risk. And that lake also shares a border with Tanzania as well. I think it's a very bottom corner, isn't it, of, uh, of no, the it's lake? Right for the middle. Right for the it? middle. Wow, um, okay. Yeah, it's, uh, it's quite, quite amazing, really, to think, you know, who, who decided that border? It's amazing, isn't it, really? I think it. I think it was us. Oh, right. Okay. I think British. so. We've got our fingers and everything, haven't we? Yep. Yeah, people hmm. don't realise. Uh, even to this day, there's ten thousand troops in Kenya. British troops. Really, to this day, I know there was over in World War Two, hmm. but it's still in this day, is it? Yeah. There is. Yeah. Hmm. Okay, so Last King of Scotland, 2006, uh, yes. based on the events of the brutal Ugand dictator Idi Amin, as seen by his personal physician during the 1970s. Now, there's a few things we have to clarify here, because this film is actually based on a book. Yes, and that's correct. The, yeah, the book is also fiction based in historic, um, yes. some, some level of uh, historical accuracy. So... I was a little bit disappointed actually when I learned that because um, I quite like films based on history and I like them to be fairly accurate and the fact that this had bits you know, elements of storytelling and complete fiction thrown in I was a little bit hmm, okay um, yes. t- top cast we've got James McAvoy who plays Dr Nicholas Garrigan who's obviously a Scottish yeah. fella yeah. Um, oh, yeah, he just wanted to make sure say something every time they mentioned ah you're one of us you're english no i'm scottish even before Mm. independence of scotland he was saying that (laughs) yeah well the scottish hate us english and it's only getting worse thanks to the snp but anyway let's put politics yeah yeah forrest whitaker plays Idi Amin, and what a performance from that guy brilliant i mean he carries this film Forest yes, he Whitaker. does. 100%. Because the rest of it is, I mean, James McAvoy, I'm not entirely, I mean, he's not a prolific actor, and I can understand why. He's not awful, but he's not overly convincing either. Gillian yeah. um, Anderson probably could have had a larger role in this. Yes. Um, Kerry Washington plays one of Idi Amin's um, wives, who then has a, an affair with James McAvoy and stuff happens. Um, Simon McBurney, that's a guy. I think is he some sort of British agent or something over there? I can't. Uh, he's basically a diplomat, uh, he's part of the High Commission, uh, in Uganda. And, uh, I, as you know, that every well, as you know, as we as I've read, that every uh, High Commission ambassador has different diplomats, and one of them is normally a secret intelligence officer so i felt like he was undercover in the uh high commission as mm. this intelligence officer because he knew things yes uh, he did and uh, yeah. he reveals that later on in the film doesn't he that's right yeah um, yeah and he kind of offers a way out for james mcavoy very early on in the film uh, that yeah. conversation that they have about you know if there's anything you want to tell us is there anything you want to divulge or anything like that? <laughs> 
Um, David Oliwello. Oli, I don't, I don't know how to pronounce that. Sorry, David, if you're watching. Um, but he plays a hos- uh, doctor in a hospital. Um, but Dr. that's probably Junji. it for like, yeah, Doctor Junju. But um, in terms of like names, there's not really an awful lot of names. Star Paul would be Julian Anderson and Forrest Whitaker. Yes, uh, because. Um... There's another thing that I want to talk about um, is the character of uh, the Doctor is very, very loosely based on a guy called Bob Estor, who was um, ex-colonial British um, guy who was in Uganda. And I think he started the first airlines or delivery airline in Uganda. Idi Amin took his airline over, put him in prison. And then he became his uh, right-hand man. And I think they used to call him the white rat. Uh, because if you remember, they called him, uh, they said, you're the white monkey to when he went in. Yeah. yeah. It was basically based on that white rat, basically. Uh, they thought he kept a mean under control. Uh, but in the end, he was the most hated white man in Africa, if you didn't include uh, South Africa, basically. Um yeah, so I think he's loosely based on him, mm. Bob Estels. Uh, he died in Wimbledon, I think, 15 years ago, 10, 15 years ago. That's the interesting thing about this, is that Idi Amin, of all the brutality that he caused, and that's very loosely touched on in this film, which is also yes. slightly disappointing, because um, I watched a couple of documentaries on Amin's reign, and um, yeah. that guy was fucking evil. He was, he was very evil. Brutal, torturing people, beheading, having people beheaded. There was um, something I read about him where uh, somebody particularly high up in his um, political part, the opposing political party, he had assassinated, decapitated, and he yeah. kept the head in a freezer in his home. And there uh, one yeah, and at one time, apparently, he brought this head out in front of like a table of dignitaries and put it on the table and started screaming and shouting at it in front of them and throwing uh, cutlery at it and stuff. I don't know how true this stuff is, but um, usually when you hear things like that, there's some element of truth behind it. Well, uh, <clears throat> you're right. They haven't covered that at all because... Um, I mean, there's a few when... references to, to his reign being a bit... Nasty. I mean, there's one particular scene oh. in this film where the pictures are just laid out in front of yeah. um, James McAvoy's character. So, as you know, he kicked out Asians from Uganda. Yes. So I've had some family who never left Uganda, and they stayed through that time. And I've got a friend as well, a family friend, I should say. They used to, they have water tanks basically, you know the big uh, rubber water tanks there on the roof basically of a house, so they collect rainwater and whatever. Okay. When the soldiers used to come along to their house, all of them used to hide in there, and they would go away after half an hour just to make sure everything's okay. But the point was they would try to basically cause problems for them. And when they would go out in the morning, like in the evening, all you heard was. Um, gunshots etc in Kampala you would just see bodies all over the place, dead bodies he apparently killed over half a million people uh, black Africans, I'm not talking about even Asians, there was only 70 or 80 thousand Asians at the peak um, 
in Uganda. It's a bit like um, when I thought about it, it was a bit like Pol Pot. You know, yes. Anyone that was wearing any intellectuals and you know, anyone that was wearing glasses, that's it. You're. Yeah, I'll be in big shit, mate. Yeah, but, well, yeah, just for wearing glasses, not being the intellectual. But yeah. Yeah, that, that's what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah, so I, I mean, estimates worth sort of three hundred thousand to maybe a, a half a million people were killed, and that's all sorts of people from all walks of life: doctors, dentists, uh, professionals, you know, professors, and anyone sort of with an education and stuff. And I mean, he seeked alliances with uh, Colonel Gaddafi in Libya. Yep. He seeked alliances with Russia as well because he started to. It's typical, isn't it? Like you know, these people always go down the fucking socialism route, didn't they? They always steer yeah. far left, and all of a sudden, that's it. You've got mass genocide and stuff. It's always yeah. the same, isn't it? Yeah, uh, because I noticed that with the aircraft, so I was wondering why has he got Russian aircraft in the background? Because I thought uh, it would be the British or us, basically, who helped him with uh, building up the army and had all the British equipment before, but then he thought we had betrayed him. And that's why, for punishment, as he would say, he sent over the Asians to Britain because all of them were British citizens, uh, mm -hmm. basically. So it was like, okay, uh, this is what I'm going to do. But I read somewhere, I don't know how much of it's true, that Colonel Gaddafi basically told him to do that. So he listened to him. And to this day, if you go to Kampala, there's there's this massive, I've never seen anything like that in my life, there's a massive mosque called the Gaddafi Mosque. He basically uh, gave them 100 million to build it or whatever. And it's got a massive gold dome and everything. And it's just, well, so this guy had this country in his pocket as a toy. That's, yeah, I mean, that's something else as well that um, I, I watched actually is that Idi Amin apparently said to Gaddafi that he, he would commit to turning the entire country of Uganda to Islam. Yeah. Uh, and obvi obviously he failed because uh, I think um, there is obviously Muslims there, but there's mainly, I think Christian is still the main religion. And then you've got the tribal religions or the local religions, whatever it may be. And then you've got the uh, small um minority of Hindus and whatever who've gone back actually uh when they're called were called back uh by the new president who came in in 86 so some of them went back to claim their property yeah so he committed loads of crimes he uh, wasn't a guy you would really want to meet in a dark heli basically or even shake hands with um no. I mean Forrest Whitaker does a great job in in this film of being a very charismatic likable very affable person at the very yes. beginning and you think actually you know this isn't a bad gig for james mcavoy's character no you know he's, he's he gets invited to be his personal physician and you think you know the, the jokes and that they're cracking and stuff and the power that he wields now you think actually that wouldn't be a bad gig i mean i might be no. tempted by that but then over a period of time you start to see that he distrusts him more and more and Armin becomes more and more of like a bully, an old-fashioned bully, playing pranks on him and yeah. deliberately making him feel uncomfortable. And I think the point of the crescendo of that is when his house is turned over yeah. and then his passport is taken and there's an envelope on the table and he's got a Ugandan passport. And it's yeah. like, no, I own you. And yeah. he's like, oh, fuck. 
And the other thing was funny when when he goes to basically goes to the president's house and they're watching Deep Throat and he's basically there feeling really uneasy while they're watching porn. Um, mm. And you think, okay, I'm not sure how much of that is true because I know can, African countries are very conservative in that sense. I don't know how much of that's true that he did actually watch porn. I don't know if it was just no. to emphasis that this guy had gone completely um, sure. But is yeah. it all surface level stuff? I mean, I'm not saying, yeah, I, I agree. I don't think maybe that's true. Maybe it isn't. I guess we'll never really know. But no, unless it's somebody from the inside that actually specifically says that that happened. But yeah. um, the thing is, if if African nations are fairly conservative when it comes to things like sex and stuff like that, then surely if you are kind of the leader of this um, this country, and bearing in mind Idi Amin during his military days as Ugandan chief of Whatever he, whatever position he held, he was like top of the of the army in the Ugandan army at one point. And, uh, he under was the field marshal. I don't know what position it was, but okay. Um, it was but, a cop- uh, copy of the British army ranks. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, but he was very high up in the Ugandan army, and he was embezzling money out of it as well. So he was lining his own pockets out of the money that the state was giving him to run the army. So when you've got that much power and then you become leader, surely you've been you know, sort of that repressive kind of mindset and society of you're going to flip, aren't you? You're going to say, fuck it, I can do whatever I want. Get me all of the porn I can handle. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> I don't know how much you could handle it, but uh, yeah. Yeah, you're right. I think it, the problem is all these people come in who overthrow uh, the so-called president before them. Uh, and it was a classic um, when um, they went to see him in the crowd. Uh, Sarah and uh, McAvoy's doctor character. Mm. And when she turned around and said, Aborte, they did the same when he did took over. Yeah, people were cheering and clapping. Cheering. Yeah. yeah. And as we know, even in our lifetime, we've seen it once happen. People always cheer for the d- dictator who comes in. They think, oh, he's going to change everything. And as we know, it ends in disaster. Uh, and we've seen it in our own lifetime with uh, Saddam Hussein, for example, um, where I'm sure when he first took over, I think we missed that bit, but I've seen on TV when the Gulf War happened, the second one, and it finished how they cheered for him. But then power got to his head, and then he started killing his vice president or presidents who were before him and all that stuff. And this is the problem. Yeah, well, the dissent started to build up because after a little while, people start realising that actually this guy, he was just slowly eliminating his political yes. his political um, opposition. And people start to realise, actually, this isn't a good thing. And then those people started to get offed they disappeared yeah i mean there was um something i i was watching earlier about an israeli plane landing in it was kind of forced to land in uganda idi amin said no land in uganda is fine we'll take care of you a bunch of israelis got off and um they held them prisoner in That's um cool. in a hospital in, in an airport and as it happens the airport the airport was designed by mm-hmm. the Israelis, so they knew exactly where they were holding them prisoner. And the Israeli Mossad went in there and took it and rescued the prisoners. Yeah, there's a film called Rescue in Tebe. A great movie. 
Uh, I think that's one we should do, and that's about the actual rescue mission that the Israelis took. What it was, it was quite uh, a a move by Amin in a sense. He was being stupid, obviously. Uh, You don't do that. You don't let a terrorist land in your uh, sort of airport and do these sort of things. That's one thing. But another thing is he flipped from being an ally of the Israelis to being the allies of um, the PLO because he was himself Muslim. So he thought, okay, I'll be on this side. And I think Gaddafi and other Arab leaders probably gave him a lot of money to do that. So that's a true story. Um, So what happened was they kidnapped all these people, let a non Israelis or Jewish people go and then within two days of that as it says in the end they actually do a rescue mission and I think mm-hmm. only one per- one soldier died uh, doing that that is I think the current Prime Minister of Israel's brother I think it was or the old Prime Ministers I can't remember who but it was one of the Prime Ministers he died and I think it was one of the hostages Actually, that airport still exists, but it's not the actual current Entebbe airport. That is now used by the United Nations as a bringing in all the sort of uh, aid for other African countries or even Uganda. So I went past uh, that actual tower where there, you can still see bullet holes and whatever from a distance. And they showed it to me. That's where it was. I went, oh, OK, brilliant. So, yeah, interesting. Very interesting part yeah. of history. Definitely not a part of history that I was really aware of until earlier today, to be honest. I mean, I knew, because I've watched this film before, I knew who Idi Amin was, and I'd done some basic surface-level research reading up on him, but I was not fully aware of the whole bigger picture. I mean, he was pretty much trained by the British military, and he was an incredibly good soldier. He rose through the ranks pretty quickly, because he just took orders well and performed his duty, and he was also fucking brutal when dealing with things so he got the job done yeah so he basically helped Britain um, with the Mau Mau which were the actual fighters in Kenya uh, for independence and he helped uh, sort them out and you know kill them or whatever so yeah how can we put it? How can I put it? In a in a in essence we basically built him up and we basically put him in bloody power and then realised oh shit yeah that's what essentially <laughs> that's what happened um and that's what i like about this movie because it's got fiction stuff but it's also got got some certain facts as well uh in there yeah i think um it's a bit of a missed opportunity i think really having watched this film again with a, you know with a little bit more knowledge this time around i did feel it was a bit hollow in places um i mean the, the Idi Amin actually goes into the story about his military career with James McAvoy's character, but it's ended in about a minute. Yeah. It just, I mean, it shows that he has some resentment towards the British for ordering him around, but it kind of portrays him as a victim. Whereas if you learn real history, he enjoyed being a soldier because he yeah. got the, he got the free reign to be as brutal as he liked torturing people, um, killing he, he loved it, as far as I could see from the history. And there's one a... story I read where he cut the dicks off of people for stealing horses. Bloody hell. And, he, and he, he threatened it. He said, if anyone steals horses, I'm going to cut your dick off. And he did it. And, they, and, and, and you know, obviously horses were still being stolen. And when he caught those people, he did it. And in some cases, done it himself. 
So he enjoyed that Jeez. shit. Jeez. So to play, yeah, I mean, that takes an awful lot of hatred and, yeah, that's... Um, he was a boxer so, as well, a very good boxer in the army. He was a very good boxer, yeah, very good sportsman. He's quite good at rugby as well. So, you know, from like a, an English perspective, a very good soldier, very athletic, very good sportsman. The guy was six foot four as well, so very imposing, very strong character. Yeah. Um. So, of course, you know, the British military loved him. Thought, okay, this, is, this guy's great. He gets the job done and yeah, he fits in well. Yeah. And, yeah, he, if you think about it, but what in that scene, what made... One of the scenes, I think it was later on in the movie, what made me laugh, he for um, for his own convenience, he makes McAvoy, and he's Scottish, but when it goes wrong, he goes, are you going to be like all the effing British, fuck me over or my country over? And it's amazing how he suddenly remembers that Scotland's part of Britain when it wasn't convenient for him, but when McAvoy was naive, he was Scottish. Yeah, and- well, that, I think that, that, that shows... Yeah, that shows another little bit of depth of character and just how manipulative and also sort of how... I mean, he wasn't academically intelligent. He right. failed a bunch of military intelligence tests, did he, I mean? So he, he got to a certain level in the British military yeah. and couldn't progress any further because he was failing intelligence tests. But he, he was intelligent in a different way. He was charismatic and knew how to manipulate yeah. people. There's different, different sort of levels, levels and... Aspects of intelligence. There's social intelligence. There's emotional intelligence. There's academic intelligence, um, and so that shows that at the beginning of this film is that yeah, he's all pally pally and friends. Ah, oh, Scotland. I love Scotland. I fought in a Scotland, a Scotland regiment or Scotland rifles, whatever it was yeah, that yeah. he was in. Um, so he's very friendly and stuff. And yeah, yeah, but yeah, ultimately he knows full well. Actually, no, you're part of that whole. You're part of that whole empire, and ultimately, I fucking hate you lot. Yeah. Well, that's what he was saying. Uh, in a nutshell, uh, I think he was part of the East African um, Rifles, uh, which was basically mainly Scottish uh, troops. Mm. Uh, and funny enough, they were in my father's um, town in Kenya. They were based there because it was the governor's capital, uh, administration capital uh, beside Nairobi. So, yeah. So, yeah, they were based there. So that's why I know a little bit about that and the Mau Mau because of all the stories I was told. But yeah, yeah, you could see he didn't like the West, generally. Um, yeah, it's because, um, I mean, he did He did actually get a PhD, I think, in English at one point. He put himself through university. Mm-hmm. Um, but he is, is at the same time that he also started to study socialism. See, the thing is, socialism, everyone reckons it's going to work for your country, you're going to do a good, but... I, I was saying earlier, funny enough, I was talking to my father about uh, this, and I said the reason why socialism worked up to a point in the Soviet Union, you were talking about part of the world where people are very intelligent, extremely intelligent, naturally. If you look at most of Eastern Europe, even before communism time, most of them spoke four or five languages. And then, okay, even in science, if you look at some of the scientific uh um, achievements it was out of this world so socialism basically pushed them into that and were forced into uh, building on top of the foundation they already had and that's another thing as well uh, socialism works when you've got that foundation socialism doesn't work uh, in parts of world unfortunately I'm talking about any other part of the world not only Africa where you don't have that foundation where I think Russia well, had that and whatever 
But Russia fucked it, or Stalin fucked it, because they thought that the farmers yeah. were part of the bourgeois. Although yeah, they were feeding the country and they were making money, they were feeding the country. They decided, well, actually, these farmers, fuck them, they're the bourgeois, and ended up killing them and running off their land, and everyone yeah. starved to death. Yeah, That's uh, socialism. Yeah. yeah. So there is uh, obviously parts that, I mean, you and I have never lived under socialism, and I hope we never do. Uh, it never works. Well, I mean, if you look no. at China, they, it's like they call themselves communists. They're not really communists, are they? No, it's, it's cap, um, corporate corporatism isn't it really it's sort of yeah. like a very strange version of a very extremely capitalistic society it's very odd the whole chinese setup because yeah it's, it's communist on the outside but really not no strange uh, excuse me while yeah. i pour another beer <sighs> see we had to have uh, paul do that because we needed him replacing yeah. Justin. <laughs> and all he does that as you know, I don't drink that much, um, but when I do, he goes for the well blonde. He goes for the blondy blonde. Yeah, uh, you might as well go for the decent stuff, mightn't you? Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Carry on. Yeah. So, um, shit, I lost my thread after watching the, uh, <laughs> the blondy blonde. Well, we were talking about socialism in general, but I think, yeah, I think really to end that kind of conversation, I suppose, um, is that democracy. There's a lot to be desired. There's a lot to fix with democracy, but it's probably the best fucking system we've got at the moment. Yeah. Because socialism, communism, all of those, you know, Marxism, all that sort of stuff, it never fucking works. And there's always some cunt that says, oh, but we haven't done it properly yet. Well, how many more fucking goes do you need at it to see that it's going to fucking fail? The thing is, if you read the philosophy, it's completely opposite to how it's been done. But you cannot do the philo- uh, the actual stuff that is written down because it's not achievable. So people in power, and it's part of this movie as well, will always become corrupt. If you've got a little yeah. bit of power and you're running a country, you've got all the money and you can go, no one's going to challenge me, I'm going to take that. You'll get all the best stuff, and then it goes to you, you then start punishing people, you start killing them, you kill your opposition. So socialism in that sense, what is the theory will never work in a practical sense because the top person or the top people, they corrupt. Simple as that. And I agree with you. Democracy is the best system. There's loads of different things that need to be done. But yeah. Um, that's what I'm going to say on that because otherwise we'll end up talking about uh, Chairman yeah. Mao and the Communist Party yeah. uh, and whatever. But yeah, uh, it showed also the sad thing uh, how actually Uganda, Uganda at one point was, I think, the biggest economy in East Africa, which is quite surprising as it's one of the smaller countries of East Africa because it had all the sort of industrial foundation there it had a uh, agriculture uh, industry which was massive and the two biggest ones were the sugarcane were owned by famous asian families uh, i think one of them basically before they just by the time they got kicked out ran back 10 or 15 percent of the economy at that time it was 800 million pounds or dollars so that is not bad going uh for those days, I mean, Kennedy, John F. Kennedy and all his family visited one of those uh, families. So, yeah, I mean, he basically got a little bit upset that the non-Africans as such, people were born and brought up there for two or three generations or more who had 
basically brought up Africa or East Africa was making money and the locals weren't. And that's why he basically kicked the Asians out. It was mm. basically, we can run the economy without you guys. You're British. You're not going to really be loyal to us and go off. Yeah, and then he started to get into anti-Semitism and all sorts of yeah. stuff. And, and the, it was actually, I, I read somewhere that he was actually looking to build a shrine to Adolf Hitler as well at some point. Which was... Bloody <laughs> hell. <laughs> and, yeah. yeah, so he, he was fully into it at, at one point. And Fully just given in to all that kind of ideology. Yeah. Um, mental mental stuff. But apparently when they ousted him and he was exiled, yeah, um, their economy, the inflation was like 200%. Yeah. And the, yeah. The, the, the country was like 300 and something million dollars in debt. Yeah. He basically destroyed the most powerful, or so-called biggest uh, economy in East Africa, into uh, made it into crumbles. Uh, and not only that, um, when he kicked out all the Asians uh, from Uganda, all the Asians in Kenya started becoming rich again because they were affected by the growth of uh, Uganda. Because um, the Kenyan government realised at the time, oh shit, if we do the same, we're going to be in big shit. The economy will crash. So this, they said, now nah, we're not going to do that. Let's start giving them licenses. Although they're British, we'll give them licenses to trade and get the business up and running again so yeah hmm. uh, it's quite a funny history you don't kick out you never kick out the business people of your country if you want to do something kick out the ones who never work <laughs> <laughs> in that case you might be most of the population but <laughs> That's a mask off moment for you, Samir. Yeah. Local councillor Samir, mask off moment. Yeah. <laughs> Someone's going to say, thank goodness he's not bloody leader of the country. Mm. Christ. No, well, yeah, there is a point. Or educate the people. Yeah, exactly. That are not working into work. I mean, that's the big... The, that's the you point, know, really, no, Sorry, yeah. you've got... Yeah, you. Sorry, you have to work in order to earn a living. That's just unfortunately. We'd all like to sit on our ass doing fuck all all day yeah. every day, just staring at the clouds. But unfortunately, that's not the society and the system that we've developed. So you have to work. So therefore, here's a yeah. job. Go and do it, mate. But the, I'm telling you, the weather over there and some of the views and stuff like that. I, I, you know, you could become one of these. Guys, you would sit on your ass and not do anything. But yes, I agree with you. You need to educate people and say, look, yeah, I know that agents are running whatever because they didn't go into that uh, in detail as well. He called them bloodsuckers or whatever. What he was saying, mm. uh, essence, uh, they're taking all the money away. The thing was, they're build they were building up the economy. What he should have done said, look, we need to get more uh, partners, African partners, in with you, or you teach the Africans how to do business and build the economy rather than kicking the experts out if you see what i'm saying and they never really spoke about that and today every well-off african or asian are in partners in certain sort of business they're always doing stuff in partnership which is amazing that wasn't happening in those days you're right it's about education etc uh, it's not about what i was saying i was by the way joking you don't kick out uh, lazy people <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so this story, you're right, uh, hasn't built up um, 
on certain things it could have it could have been put that in more detail and it could have also done the hostage stuff in more detail i think they could have continued the movie where he escapes and with Israeli uh, actual uh, troops coming the next day or whenever it was to rescue the people. Because, as you said, not everyone knows about that story. Yeah, it's... Um, I, yeah, it's going back to what I was saying, I do think it was a bit of a missed opportunity, unfortunately. Yeah. But then, you know, it wasn't really a documentary. It was more a fictional story based on a book that yeah. just happened to be based in Uganda during the time of Idi Amin's rule. Um, one of the things that was odd about this is we know that Idi Amin and what he did, okay? You can go on YouTube and watch documentaries about it. Yeah, you can yeah. read it on Wikipedia. You can find whatever, right? So why the fuck was he allowed to live in exile in Libya till 1981 and then Saudi Arabia? This is the thing, this is the question that quite a lot of Asian people ask to this day, and and some of the Africans, actually, of Uganda. Why was he allowed to escape from justice? Yeah, I mean, he, he, he didn't die until, 2000, until 2003. No, no. And, yeah, exactly. And that's why they're asking, why did he escape justice? It's odd because you see like various like the Serbian war criminals in, in like the early 90s yeah. and they were all taken to the, the Hague, Den Haag in Holland and put in mm. front of the, the world court and tried with war crimes and stuff. But Idi Amin, he just fucked off to Libya, stayed there to 1981 until he had a falling out with Gaddafi. Yeah. And then Gaddafi said, right, fuck off. And he ended up in Saudi Arabia getting handouts from the... And the Saudi Arabians are supposed to be our friends over there in... You know what I mean? We buy an yeah. oil off them and all that kind of stuff, and yet they did stuff like that. It's mad. Why don't we say it's friendship or convenience on both sides? <laughs> Probably that's what, what it is. Yeah, you're right. He did escape justice, and uh, that was one thing that um, people did protest. As I said, the, uh, the Ugandan Africans, the East African Asians of Uganda protest because they felt that was... The, how come every other leader who's... Mm basically had a international crime or uh, cre uh, basically not only created crime, but actually did genocide, crime, genocide yeah, mean, yeah, were taken there. Why wasn't he taken there? Were we, were, when I mean we, I mean, was our system bribed by someone so you, you don't take him or what well, was it? It could have been that he knew something or some things that certain countries didn't want getting out maybe i don't know but it is a very odd one it's a bit like i mean i think about napoleon as well napoleon was sent into exile yeah they didn't and kill the him or tr tr you know, hang him from a lamppost or anything they just sent him off to a fucking island it was like almost like a a, a, <laughs> a tropical blissful paradise that they sent him to and said right don't come back well they did uh some tests and they're saying that he actually got poisoned by us when he was on the island, we were feeding him poison. What, Napoleon? Napoleon, yeah. <laughs> uh, basically, well, well. He, he got bowel cancer. But yeah, I know what you're saying. I think in those days it was different in Napoleon because he just was conquering Europe. So they sent him over to South ah, America. Right, wherever. It? Yeah, he's all right, yeah. Right. I mean, everyone's had a go at that, haven't they? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was, yeah. <laughs> They're part of the world, you know what I mean? No, we've just all, let him off. Everyone, everyone's had a fucking go at conquering Europe. But fucking yeah. hell, don't matter. 
I think it started off with the Moors, if I remember correctly, and then it went off with Napoleon, and then Adolf tried, and well, I have to say, all of them failed, and uh, Bob's your uncle. Mm. Um, but yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, I think it was different in those days where I it was a case when you caught your commander or commanding officer or the leader of another country, you didn't necessarily punish them the way they did after that. Uh, or even previous to that, they basically said exile. It's more civilized. Gentlemen, don't kill gentlemen. Yeah. yeah. Well, that whole kind of honor system, that whole kind of gentleman thing that you were mentioning there. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can imagine. It's like a game of football. It's like, well played, Napoleon, but unfortunately you lost. Sorry about that. But yeah. um, just go over there for a bit. Just stay out of the newspapers for a little while and just, you know, leave us alone for a bit. Strange, isn't it? Now things yeah. have changed now. Because now yeah. you think like war criminals and stuff, you know, people want to kill them and stuff and put them in through war war crime trials and stuff. Whereas back in Napoleon's day, it was all kind of sport, wasn't it? It was like, oh well, yeah. well we need to we need to cull the population. It's getting a bit big, so let's have a big fucking war. And all the yeah. royal families would all communicate in Europe, all the royal families would all talk to each other and stuff and say, Well, actually, I'm a little bit pissed off with that, Bertie. So we're going to war. Yeah. All right. Okay. Great. Brilliant. Let's rally up the peasants. And Napoleon wasn't a uh, was a minor noble, so they didn't like him. That was the other reason why they wanted to get rid of him, probably as well. Uh, but yeah, it's funny how he was put on an island somewhere near Europe, and he made, came back to France. And in a hundred days, he took over uh, France and then went to Waterloo. And that was when he was sent over, I think, to South American island after that. But yeah. Uh, and that's anyway. where he died. Anyway, moving so, forward. But, yeah, uh, but I mean, I, I read that they, his family turned off the life support machine. He was in a coma. Yeah, uh, I think he had a stroke or something. They should have shut it off eight years ago before he died, actually. Um, mm-hmm. They said, could fuck have, it, i enough. Could have had the CIA or the uh, Mossad or whatever go to Saudi and kill him probably, but they didn't do that for some reason. You know what interests me, actually, is who made that decision? Because Armin had five wives yeah. and 35 children. Bloody hell, yeah. <laughs> so when it came round to like, okay, he's not coming out of this coma. So what do you want to do? Do you want to switch it off or do you want us to just keep him on life support until he just basically withers away to like a raisin? Um, can you imagine that conversation? All those people with a vested interest. Yeah. No. What happened to those people? Well, because okay. as I as I understand it, Idi Amin was living on handouts from the Saudi royalty. Yeah. Um, whereas when he was living in Libya, he was treated a bit like royalty over there. He was getting anything he wanted. But when he went to Saudi Arabia, he was basically living like a peasant. He was just on handouts from the royal family. No. So, what happened to the wives and the kids? They probably went around begging as well. Uh, probably uh, on the streets of Saudi, Jeddah, or wherever. Uh, I've got wonder, not, didn't it? Really? Yeah. Well, the thing is, uh, I think the reason why they made that decision, I think the you, the Ugandan government basically said to them, "You're not going to bring him back on coma or life support machine." He did try and overtake Uganda again. Actually, I read that yeah. too. Yeah, he yeah. Had, yeah, he did have some support, um, yeah. but it never went anywhere. Yeah, because the current president's quite strong. He's a military man himself, and he said, "Nah." No, mate, you're not going to take over this time. I've got the control and we don't want you uh, here. We want to make sure the economy grows again. Uh, that's why he made sure he didn't get in. 
But the thing was, he did one condition. He goes, I don't care if you die in Saudi, you're going you're to get buried there. If you, your family trying to bring your uh, body back, we'll stop it. They'll need more than my permission and whatever. And what else it was, it was like life support. He wanted to go back to Uganda and have some sort of medical help there. He goes, I want to die in my own country. The current president said, no. You've killed too many, too many people in this country, and no, I don't want your name in this country. That only allowed one of his sons to go back once he died, and was buried basically to Uganda because yeah. he was. People didn't like him. His name, even to this day, it's a name of fear and uh, horror, basically. And it wasn't only minorities who suffered, uh, like. Obvious, open, uh, obvious minorities, but it's also uh, my um, uh, minority tribes who were getting slaughtered. So if yes. you weren't part of this uh, yeah. tribe, you would get killed because the moment you know it was just he's not part of my tribe, kill him. Well, I did read that as well. Actually, is that a lot of the sort of the military type and a lot of the the council and the, the government, the heads of government around him, yeah. were slowly getting. Um, Either, either assassinated or just pushed out and he was mm-hmm. hiring people from his own tribe where he grew up yeah. that had no experience whatsoever no. of any kind of government. They were like herding goats and dealing with cattle and yeah. he would just hire them and put them in a position in the government. <laughs> yeah, Just take your minist- so, uh, Ministry of uh, Defence, mate. You know how to herd uh, yeah. goats yeah, or something like that. Yeah. yeah, here you go. Here's a position yeah. for you. There's a nice cap to, for you to wear. And there's um, probably a few million quid. Put it in your Swiss bank so you can escape when it goes all wrong. Um, another thing was, I don't know if you heard the language. They were speaking Swahili. In some parts, yeah. Yeah. So the funny thing is, Swahili is not the main language. It's one of the languages, but not the main language. The main language is Bugandan, which is very different. But uh, Swahili is spoken by, I think, the part of Uganda he came from. And that's why he had Swahili speaking. It's funny because um, people in Uganda uh, that I know, uh, people of Asian background, they speak Swahili very well. But some of them also speak Bugandan, which is the actual national language. I'm not joking. I, I, one of my friends who lives over there, he speaks uh, Bugandan so well. If you didn't uh, look at him, you think it was an actual African guy, not uh, a person of Asian heritage. He speaks it so well, and it's very different. So that's another thing as well. They've just used a generic East African language, which Swahili is. Yeah. Well, it just goes to what I said earlier, is that this film is a bit of a missed opportunity, really. Yeah. Um. Um, we haven't really. We've just been talking about Idi Amin and East and uh, Uganda, really. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. This is not a review of the last King of Scotland at all, really, <laughs> no, is it? I mean, no, um, we better, better move on. <laughs> I, I thought, I thought that Gillian Anderson, uh, a character, could have been utilised more. Instead, she just basically a fuck piece for James McAvoy, isn't she? Yeah. yeah. Um. She's not really in this film much at all. It's um, a bit disappointing. He didn't even do that to her, did he? He didn't really have. Oh, no, yeah, he never did, did he? No. But, but you know, the funniest thing is, like, he lands in Uganda, right? He becomes friendly with the African lady. The next thing you see, he's shagging her. Yeah, well, 
bit of excitement for her, isn't it? It's probably the first white bloke she'd ever had, and then, you know, and vice versa as well. It's probably the first black woman that he had. So it's just a bit of exciting, you know, they got on well and fuck it, why not? But all but why was that added into the story? I mean, what relevance did that have to anything at all? It didn't no, nothing add anything. That that woman was never seen again in the film. Right. And the funny thing was, while Shaggy goes, yeah, medical uh, officer aboard. Yeah, I mean, that was fucking cringeworthy, wasn't it? I mean, Christ, imagine that. Yeah, you wouldn't say yeah, that, would you? Yeah, yeah. She's bouncing up and down on him, and he just screams out, yeah, I'm a medical professional in fucking Uganda, screaming it out. It's like, what? Oh. Instant and... turn off. Yeah. Uh, if that was a woman, she'd probably slap him in real life. Go, oh, what are you doing? Well, she'd probably just get off and wipe herself down with a flannel and say, right, get out of my fucking house, you prick. You're a weirdo. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I felt so, I felt sorry for him. You know, at the start when, you know, he graduates, he jumps in the uh, w- w- the lake in Scotland and you think, ah, oh, okay, he's getting excited, a great future, and then his parents. We'll have a bit of charity. Congratulations. Yeah. yeah, so you had the stark contrast there, didn't you? And yeah. But then towards the end of the film, he's begging to go home. He's like, I just want to be with my dad and live that boring fucking life. I just... <laughs> As they say, sometimes do not wish things that you want because they end up being really yeah. bad. And that's what happened. Like, yeah. you know, the most horrible bit, I've only seen it once. And it was a Red Indian movie I saw Western where they hook uh, a person from their skin. And that is... I'm, I'm sure in that version you've got, they don't show that, but actually I, I'm sure I've seen a version that actually show that, where he's actually hanging and they show where it's in the skin. The hooks. It, it, what, James McAvoy's character? James, yeah, McAvoy's yeah, character. Oh, right, when they're torturing him. <clears throat> yeah. I, in the actual Western, they did show it, but it wasn't as bad a, a graphic as the, uh, mm-hmm. this one. I've actually seen the one they've seen at Jane McAvoy, where they've actually shown it digging into the skin. Hmm. Okay. Uh, it wasn't. There nice. might be some. It might be like a. Yeah. It might be a director's cut. Maybe. I don't know. But right. um, I've, there is. I certainly haven't seen it before. Hmm. <sighs> I mean, that was horrible. I mean, I wouldn't really think... I mean, even before that, I would be begging to go home. But after that, mate, I'll be definitely uh, begging to go home. Um... Yeah. Yeah, I didn't sign up for this. I just come over here to help people out, really. And now I'm... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I never wanted to be uh, part of the president's yeah. personal uh, helpline. So, um... We score it. Okay, I'm going to say one uh, one thing. There was one sentiment, uh, last bit, one sentimental bit. You know where um, he he's he gets onto the plane and he flies out and he sees the lake, lakes of uh, the water, and then he sees all the kids. Uh, basically, the reason why it's sentimental is not person sentimental to me in the sense that I was there, but I've been told so many stories by people who actually had to escape and leave. Uh, Uganda when they were kicked out uh, and they always talk about that, they said that was the last thing we saw was the um, lakes and the beautiful sun and whatever and they would talk about you know the actual streets of Uganda so that bit I could understand what he was coming from by the stories I've been told by people who actually went through that at the time and that's the reason why I would say it's slightly sentimental because I know that people suffered that from uh, Idi Amin and the soldiers in Uganda 
where things were just taken off them, uh, money, goods, etc. Mm. Um, you're only allowed to take hundred pounds or fifty dollars with you. That's what they allow well, these people. Yeah, I mean, I, I read that they could only the Asian community they kicked out could only take what they could carry. Yeah, or something like that. Yeah, and even sometimes uh, that was even uh, they were stopped by soldiers and that was taken away as well. Yeah, I can imagine that. Yeah, fucking yeah. bonanza in it for the military. Yeah, why of not? Course, yeah, when you've got people who are were actually multi-millionaires in dollars and sterling, uh, and you take everything away from them, okay, yeah, they were smart. The the real rich guys are probably in millions in the UK and in, in the US, but yeah, the ordinary folk, yeah, they left with two yeah. clothes. Simple, simple as that. Yeah. So, since you picked this film, you go first with the score. Okay, I'm gonna. I want to. Can we do halves? Or we're we not going to do halves? Nah. Okay. Nah. It just opens up the door to all kinds of. Just yeah. Now stick yeah. to round four. Stick to round numbers. Okay. I'm going to go. Uh, in that case, I'll go for eight. eight. Uh, yeah. Uh, because I like these sort of stories uh, where they're slightly uh, true and slightly fiction, but it's also as, as I said to you just now. I've heard so many stories, I can sort of understand what was going on there and what had happened to people. And I think that's the reason why I'm giving it an eight. Plus for the actual budget, I think it was shot well. I think they could have had a better um, Scottish actor in there. I think McAvoy did okay, but there were certain parts where he wasn't convincing. Uh, there was too much of that smiley, jokey, even when he was not, when he started doubting Edie and me, um, he still sort of had that grin. And to be honest with you, once I start doubting people, my grin goes. And, and I know that for a fact. I just go, mm, right, this is serious. I need to get down to serious business here. How to get out of here. Right? Okay, I'm not in that situation. But if you understand, when, I, when you don't trust someone, you start becoming more serious. And he wasn't. And, he, and not only that, he became more nervous. As well, and he wasn't convenient. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that, that was deliberately done to sort of yeah. ramp up the end of the film, you know, because the film, if you imagine the film on a line line chart, yeah. it kind of goes like that. It goes right up like a hockey stick graph. The yeah. the anxiety and the ramping up. So, I think the nervousness that McAvoy played in that was to try and you know get the audience into this kind of yeah. sense of tension that was escalating. Yeah. Exactly. Mm. So I think he was a weak character in the sense of weak uh, actor, played it weakly. He's a good actor. I've seen him in other movies. He's been okay. He's not my favourite, but the man who I really have to take my hat off for is Mr. Whitaker. Forrest Whitaker, bloody hell. If you didn't know he wasn't, if you didn't know he was American, and you just, that was the first film, you would actually be convinced he is African, from East Africa because he got the accent perfectly. He spoke Swahili really well uh, and he acted like a proper African would. And not only that, I mean, yeah, you wouldn't know. He was a Afro-American actor. You would think oh, he's from Uganda. And I have to take my hat off for that. Mm. Uh, he deserved to win the Oscar that, when he won it for that. But what happened to him since? Well, it's funny you say that. I mean, 
Forrest Whitaker's been in a whole bunch of movies and TV shows. He always plays a character, um, you know, cameo roles. He's been in so much over his career. Um, but he's never really had a starring role that's particularly elevated him to the mainstream. I mean, The Last King of Scotland, he that was a starring role, but it's a film that not a lot of people are really aware of. No. Um, the, the, probably the most recent thing I can think of that he's been in, um, TV-wise that I've seen, is a bunch of TV shows called Criminal Minds. And mm-hmm. he was the lead guy in that. But that, that's quite an old TV show. I mean, I'm just looking at his filmography and his TV um, credits, and he's just got so much. I mean, he, is a proli- he was in Platoon. Yeah, that's um, right. He, he was in an episode, a couple of episodes of The Shield, which is a TV series. Um, there's just so much he's been in. He, his career has been phenomenal. He, he was in Good Morning in Vietnam. He was in he was in Stakeout. He was in Bloodsport with Jean Claude Van Damme. Wasn't he also in a movie where he plays a jazz uh, singer or a uh, saxophone uh, player, where he won a supporting actor or was nominated? That was his last big role before Last King of Scotland. He's probably like Denzel Washington, who does some brilliant uh, loads of does some brilliant work. Denzel Washington does. I don't know how he's got into mainstream. I think he probably does more of that high-level movie. But I think Forrest Whitaker does get close to it when it comes to his acting and the good stuff he does. But he's just not making that break to get out of, you know, to be one of the top. Mm. You know what's holding him back? Him being big, fat. No, it's the lazy eye. It's the eyelid. Yeah, he's got an eye. He's got a, he's got an eyelid that's kind of half shut. So yeah. he, that's it. Doesn't fit with Hollywood, mate. With Hollywood, you've got to have like a perfect kind of look. Speaking of which, my eyelid's gone fucking funny. That left has really kicked in. Yeah. That's why I wear my glasses, mate, because yeah. I've got a sleepy eye. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. but that's what I think it is. He just doesn't have the 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 look for it. Yes, he's very tall, a little bit overweight, and he's got the the eyelid, the eye thing going on. It's a shame because I think he's a terrific actor. He pulled mm. this, he pulled this off, and he's in and, and any other movie I've seen him, mean, he's done okay. He's done, he's been pretty good. Yeah, oh, he's an excellent actor. Yeah, right. My score, I'm giving this a five. What? Damn. Yeah. Okay. I'm giving this a five out of ten, and. The reason well, that whole five is basically for Forrest Whitaker. He carried this brilliantly. Yeah. And the rest of it, unfortunately, I just felt it was a missed opportunity. I felt it was details weren't fleshed out. It kind of the fact it was a fantasy film as well. It was it was historical fact, but a little bit of fantasy thrown in as well it was a little bit disappointing. And I just felt there was so much missed. There was so much more detail that could have been added. They didn't necessarily have to take up the whole film, but the love scenes, for example, with James McAvoy's character and the wife and stuff, that was of no real particular interest. They could have, the time they dedicated to that, they could have put to Idi Amin's character to flesh out what he did, what he actually did in real life. Um, 
as we said about the the, the coach ride that took up five minutes of the film where he shags yeah. that woman for no real reason. It, it, oh. it, it, little bits like that could have been taken out and could have been dedicated more to learning about Idi Amin's background and what he yeah. did to Uganda and, and he, the whole history of, of that, rather than this kind of sort of like love romance bit going on. And it was just a missed opportunity. I, I didn't dislike the film, um, but... I wouldn't be in a rush to watch it again. See, the, the, the eight I've given, six is definitely for Forrest Whitaker, two is for um, how well it did at the box office for the budget. <laughs> um, what was the budget for this film? Let's have a look. I think it was go. six million or eight million or something like that. Fucking hell. Last King of Scotland. Uh, let me just share this for the people watching this. Um, I think, what's he fucking doing? Well, here you go. This is what I'm fucking doing. I'm doing this. Right. So, uh, budget is usually down the bottom somewhere. Uh, or not. <laughs> here we go. Box office. There it is. $6 million estimated. Yeah. So it made 17.6, gross worldwide 48. Yeah, so financially, success, yeah. although the opening weekend, <laughs> the opening weekend was absolute bollocks. Um, and unfortunately, the opening weekend is kind of what the future success is kind of. Yeah, <clears throat> but we have to also think, if we think about the story, it's not really a American story. It's more of a British slash colonial, ex-colonial slash Ugandan story. I think that's another thing as well. Some of these stories don't do well because of that in America, necessarily. Yeah, see, IMDb rating, 7.6 out of 10 on average. That's yeah. going to be all for Forrest Whitaker. Yeah. Amazing <laughs> acting. Amazing acting. I, I, you know, you can't praise the man anymore. He, he, well, he was brilliant. That's what I can yeah. say. I mean, that's the reason why I wanted to watch this movie again, because of his acting. Nothing more. And plus, I've been to Uganda, which... It's a very fascinating place. Yeah, so there's kind of um, yeah, there's a there's a bit of a, a nostalgic. So there's a reason. There's a connection for you as to why. Yeah, you wanted to watch this. I get it. Yeah. Okay, and that will influence your score as well. See biases. Yeah. 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 Of course. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, the only other movie about Africa that probably I'll score more. Uh, there's two movies. One's called White Mischief because that is actually related to my father's town in Kenya and out of Africa because it's about the history of Af uh, colonial Kenya or East Africa. They're the only two that will probably get more than that. Hmm. Okay. I've, I've heard of out of Africa. Yeah. Should we leave it there? Should we wrap we'll leave up? it there. Yep. Because we've been going on for a bit, haven't we? This is one of our longest ever talks, and we've basically talked about Idi Amin and Uganda, but not really about the film. So, no. the listeners and the, and the viewers of this, um, I hope you enjoyed that brief history lesson. And I advise you to go and research more yourself because um, yes. it is quite an interesting period of history, actually. And it's not one that anyone really learns about unless you specifically go looking for it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, fascinating stuff. Exactly. Right. 
Well, thank you to the new subscribers. Um, I hope that the people that subscribe to our channel for all the shorts that I create, I hope they do come over and do dabble, dip their toe in the water of our movie reviews because I quite enjoy them. You obviously quite enjoy them. And hopefully other people will enjoy them. And it's worth an hour of somebody's time to listen to this old drivel. Especially, you know, when it's myself and Paul as well, the serious <laughs> guys, you know, unlike the Bahamas, man. Yeah. yeah. And um, thank you to the new Facebook followers. Um, our Facebook page is just fucking rocketing at the moment. That's good. Right, so thank you for that. Um, Should I give my P45 into uh, my new job, mate? Uh, because we're going to be millionaires from this, obviously, uh, with 1,000 <laughs> subscribers. <laughs> No way to go for that. But, <laughs> no, it's good. The channel is growing, and hopefully, um, people will appreciate the new news, the movie news, and entertainment news that I'm doing as well on a, a daily basis. Um, I'm not going to make any promises on that um, because obviously, I still work a full time job. So, trying to fit that stuff in around a full time job, I'm not going to promise I'm going to do it every day, but we're going to give it a go. So, 2023 should be interesting. Hopefully, this channel elevates to a new level. Um, I, uh, I shall try to help you there as well, Paul, when I can uh, get a chance. I'll do some shorts as well about some sort of news or talk about some movie sort of thing. Uh, well, let's, uh, let's leave corporate discussion outside of this. Um, <laughs> yeah. So if you want to know where to find us, um, then you can find that all in the description. Yep. of this video so thanks for joining us again and um yeah we'll see you see you later hey, happy christmas everyone and see you soon brilliant i can't find the fucking ending screen there it is <laughs> <laughs> see you later bye bye <laughs>